This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to All Elite Wrestling. I'm Aaron Bentley, and I am joined. Uh, who am I going to start with this time? I'll go with Nate. I think I went with Mike last time. Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, my man? Hello, Aaron. I don't think that's correct. I think you've gone with me first every time, but I'm fine with that. Um, well, except excepting the one episode I wasn't here. But uh, yeah, good to see you. No, I went backwards last time on purpose because I thought I'd gone to you every other time. Mike, is that correct? Nope. It's always <laughs> you first. I'm okay with that. <laughs> you. Hey, y'all. It's your old friend, Mike. How's it going? I don't think that's true. I'm going to go back and listen to all the episodes. You're welcome to, but you're extremely wrong. Uh, <laughs> so right back to, you know, on brand, wrong takes and information oh, yeah. from Aaron Bentley. There you go. Shout out to the wrong boy click. Okay. So uh, Twitter. I'm going to start there. Want everybody to go follow us at everything AEW and make sure you are subscribing to the show. Still haven't gotten a review, I don't think. So do it. Rate and review and uh, make sure you're either subscribed to the Everything Elite feed or the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network feed. You can follow me at Aaron Like the Car, Nate is at Epitasis, and Mike is at Fuji Heya. We are going to talk about a lot of stuff uh, this episode. We've got some new details on the Fight for the Fallen show. We've got some new talent for AEW. We've got brand partnerships. Whoop, whoop. We've got, what's that name? I was just wooing. <laughs> we've got Joshi Talk. we got the Bucks in Chicago. And of course, we have a BTE recap. I think we should get started with the most recent Road to Double or Nothing episode. That was number five. We delayed recording so we could make sure that we got this in. Uh, came out earlier today. We're recording on Wednesday night. We will probably be out tonight or first thing in the morning when you'll be listening to this. So... Uh, someone noted here that it had 19.8 thousand views already. I think that was Mike. Yeah, I was fiddling with my phone before we went on. <laughs> and I watch everything through YouTube. I pulled up my IG because I had to go look at my breads. You know, I follow a lot of bakers on IG so to see how their sourdoughs were doing. Yeah. But a pop, there was a banner that said, Rosa Double or Nothing, Episode 5. And it said it had 19,800 views already, which I thought was interesting just because they're pretty much have made clear that YouTube is their preferred platform. So the fact that it's already getting close to 20,000 views within, well, what would it be like about eight hours is pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. And then I also spent some time last week just looking through their numbers. And I mean, they've been doing 200,000 views each week on being the elite. So I don't know. I'm a big data person. I really love pouring over the data. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, is that they like the AEW IG account or is that a Cody account or whose account is that on? Uh, that was all elites. That was not Cody's. Okay. So it was AEW wrestling, I think, is the handle on that. Yeah, I followed them a while back. and But only over the past few days have I noticed that they seem to be somehow uh, pushing the Road to Double or Nothing videos. They've been just popping up randomly in my feed. So I think there's something going on there with them trying to it's not like they're promoted but somehow they're getting them to pop up more often so maybe it is promoted i don't know yeah i think what happens with instagram with followers or like when you follow something when they post something on their ig live or IGTV, i don't know they change the name of this thing a lot but it eventually will show up things you follow that do these longer postings so 
it's not necessary they, they might pay to promote. I know there's paying for promotion on Instagram because I'm being targeted for a whole lot of different couch brands currently. So, you know, it could be one or the other. So who knows? We're getting into real BHT hours here on uh, on the Elite Pod. Okay, Road to Double or Nothing, episode five. Starts out with a little uh, Jericho promo, trying to push this uh, his match with Omega. The, the story that they're going with, you know, it's basically the, yes, Jericho's saying this is all due to me. Uh, and these other guys, it's kind of funny. He's really, <laughs> he's almost always like, nobody really knows who any of these other guys are. So they're going to have to come watch this because of me. And then hopefully they'll learn about these other people, which I think is halfway a shoot from him and uh, at least vaguely delusional, but uh, I could be wrong. I think he's definitely, I mean, he's obviously doing it uh, as a heel uh, tactic. That's his healing is that he's, you know, dismissing these people. But when he actually mentions them, he doesn't, you know, uh, uh, demean them or diminish them or anything. Like he just sort of, mentions them and it is kind of it's a little bit surreal to hear chris jericho talking about the best friends and sunny kiss and mjf and these people (laughs) just because he is like you know from two generations back of wrestling and it's sort of that connective tissue now from old new japan and cmll and war into wcw and wwf and now into AEW. it's kind of it's a little bit uh, of, of a trip to be like oh yeah chris jericho and chuck taylor sure I just think he really thinks from listening to the Tony Khan interview and his previous podcast that was about how he signed with AEW. I think he really doesn't believe that very many people know who Kenny or the Bucks are. And uh, I think he's missing that. Yes, there's a whole casual audience that knows who Chris Jericho is who doesn't know who they are. But the base of the AEW audience uh, are Bucks and Cody fans uh, and, and Kenny fans, rather. So I just, it's kind of weird, I think. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, extend that to the elite guys, really, um, because I I think he's put Kenny Omega over, like, at every possible turn. So, um, yeah, I think that's really just part of the, that side of it's more the heel aspect, whereas the, uh, you know, mentioning the undercard guys is more of giving them a leg up, sort of. Um, But, yeah, I thought that was a pretty good promo. He says he has to beat Kenny at double or nothing because it's been bothering him that he lost to him at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, And he says, you know, it's not an insult for me to lose to the best in the world, but because I'm the greatest of all time, it's unacceptable. Um, So yeah, like a good little character bit there. I think as I watched this, I thought this is a really interesting match as far as the outcome, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot more as we get much closer to May 25. But uh, the way they go with this, I think, is is going to be fascinating to watch. So I'm I'm curious. They've piqued my interest in this match. Uh, the next big thing that we got in Road to Double or Nothing was the announcement of a big brand partnership, which uh, was teased a little bit. And I think they tricked us. And at least I thought we were going to be hearing about a new promotion they were partnering with. Um, I don't know. Maybe I got my, my uh, terms mixed up. But instead, we get an announcement that they're going to be partnering with a nonprofit called Culture City with a K. And the point is to make Double or Nothing a sensory inclusive event. So for folks who have issues with, you know, things that affect the senses, like loud noises, or uh, I would assume uh, the lighting and the way that that works. Uh, They talked about folks who uh, suffer from autism and uh, basically anything that might affect your ability to go to a live pro wrestling show. 
they are going to have through Culture City uh, accessories that will help you deal with that. You know, one of them was like noise canceling headphones, which seems like an easy one. But there seemed to be other stuff that they weren't getting into on this seven minute video that might be more uh, more in depth. And uh, I thought it was pretty cool. It's a nice thing that at least they're thinking about. Yeah, I did a little bit of looking into Culture City and they've done promotions with the New York football jets and they, and they Brandy mentioned also they do a lot of training so that event staff will be prepared for people who seem to be having issues with, I guess, sensory issues. And I thought it was kind of interesting that this, this nonprofit culture city doesn't only like go for like autism or people who just can't do sensory, but it's for people with PTSD anxiety and people who suffer stroke. So I thought it was, I thought this was kind of a cool thing that they're willing to already form these relationships. And this is more what you would expect a traditional branding officer to do, especially in comparison to the other ones that wrestling fans are familiar with. So I thought this was a really cool thing. And I think that it's kind of another example of AEW kind of put their foot forward. I mean, there was a lot made about them the wokeness or whatever, the promotion, but this is actually showing that they're willing to do the work. And I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. I think uh, it's really easy for people to be cynical about stuff like this, efforts like this, you know, PR opportunities like this. Uh, But if you just like look at Brandy's tweet and look at the replies to it and see people with firsthand accounts of, you know, autistic family members or family members with PTSD that haven't been able to go to wrestling shows previously um, that, you know, if you, if you've got any sort of uh, empathetic bone in your body, then that'll cure you of the cynicalness there. Cynicism. Nice. I most likely should not have said suffering from autism. I'm not sure what the correct uh, phraseology is. Uh, someone please educate me so that I will use the correct terminology. Uh, but like Nate was saying, it seems like uh, this is going to be something that is helpful for a lot of folks who don't normally get to go to big wrestling shows like this. So that's exciting. The, more promotion-centric uh, news that came out. Uh, the biggest bit of this part was that we we are now confirmed that the Fight for the Fallen show in Jacksonville is going to be in May. So that had been rumored. We talked about that when Mike and I did the, the show uh, by ourselves. But now we also know that B Priestley is going to be on the show, uh, is going to be part of AEW and going to be on the Jacksonville show. I took from that that she will not be at Double or Nothing but she will instead be at this show. There was a, a cute little bit here about Cody wanting to call B and uh, Brandy saying, no, I get to call the women. And uh, most importantly, well, no, I'll get to that in a second. I'll start here. I'm probably either me or uh, private eyeball are the biggest B Priestley fans on Joshi Twitter. Uh, what do you guys think about B Priestley coming to AEW? Uh, I don't have any takes on her as a talent, really, Um, you know, competent and obviously like uh, ambitious and invested in getting better and somebody that's very fresh in the United States. Um, You know, she hasn't been here, to my knowledge, working for any promotion. That's probably incorrect. But, you know, I do recall that she was over here at Mania Weekend with Will Ospreay, but not working, presumably didn't have a visa to work that weekend or something. So, um yeah, you know, uh, certainly a fresh face to introduce to new people and somebody who's probably going to continue to get better. 
I'm familiar with her more than I see on Twitter that she's a part of Queen's Quest and Stardom. So I think it's kind of interesting now that we have, I don't know who or what promotion Aja Kong's affiliated with. She might not be affiliated with promotion to my knowledge, but it's interesting now that I know that, I know that uh, Nyla Rose was with Marvelous for a bit, of course. Uh, of course, they already had the DDT and Tokyo Joshi Pro relationship, and now they're also getting the, they're also getting people who are affiliated with Stardom. So I think that's kind of interesting. So it's really showing how it's kind of open for business and with with all elite. I thought that was pretty neat. I believe Aja Kong's primary promotion is Oz, Oz Academy. Um, okay. Yeah. So they're definitely from all so, parts. Yeah. yeah. And I did see somebody interesting point out that uh, Stardom really has talent from every. <laughs> promotion at this point like they have wwe talent that's going back to stardom for future tours uh be priestly obviously um and then they've got the ring of honor working relationship as well so it's kind of funny it's sort of like a uh international waters there yeah and then like hanukamura is with russell one nominally so it's interesting i thought that it's kind of cool and as nate said I, to my knowledge i don't think b priestly has done any u.s work either i don't remember seeing her on any shows in new orleans yeah, I think it is interesting because I thought, as we talked about a few episodes ago, that stardom was kind of aligned with the Ring of Honor, uh, New Japan side of uh, of things. Uh, but B is a pretty uh, solid member of stardom's roster. I mean, she's not just a they bring in a lot of guys into work one tour. B works tours over and over again there. She's, to me, a, a full member of the roster. So, I mean, obviously, she must not have a full-time contract or whatever, or it's at least maybe she's only Japanese exclusive or whatever. But uh, so I think that's interesting from a, a business perspective, but it's also cool in that she's fresh, like you all talked about, but I think she's a better worker than people give her credit for. Like she had a, a good match with Momo uh, last year, which is, you know, pretty hard to, uh, to not have a good match with Momo, but I think she's uh, a, a lot better than people give her credit for. So I'm excited to see what she can do. Uh, with these folks, what I really liked about the footage that they used of B was that she was working Tony Storm. I mean, that was smart. Uh, great choice, whoever uh, used Will Ospreay's frontline wrestling footage. Yeah, moving right along from your Tony <laughs> Storm thing. Um, I did just check, and yeah, I don't see that she has ever worked in the Americas, according to Cage Match. So that's uh, that's huh. kind of funny. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. I think it's interesting that will and b seem to be um not enamored of wwe yeah i think it's cool it's 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 probably the coolest thing about will osprey <laughs> right like <laughs> yeah. easy easy to uh have him create on one of your nerves through all of his various uh social media activity um <laughs> yeah. but yeah him, him just obviously and uh you know, uh, uh, demonstratively not having any time or interest in the WWE is probably the coolest thing about him. Well, there yeah, was I mean, no... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, obviously, B could have signed with NXT UK. I mean, yeah, they're clearly but... signing up everyone. So I, I, th think, I think she did yeah. just turn down a deal if actually for NXT because yeah, she that's... was supposed to be on the table there. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was going to say is that there was a, a rumor or it was kind of stated that she had it either an NXT or NXT UK offer that she turned down for AEW. So that's another win for the promotion. I feel like at least as everyone's snapping up talent that she's already kind of picked her side. 
Yeah, I should. Add. One one other cool thing about Will Osprey, the Stormbreaker is a pretty cool move. I would agree with that. Uh, I actually think he's very good uh, at wrestling, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that somehow uh, ends up at the bottom of all conversations about Will Ospreay, and deservedly so much of the time. So the last bit of this episode of Road to Double or Nothing uh, was, you know, they make it seem like, you know, they finished up the interview with Brandy and she's kind of taken off her uh, microphone and talking with the camera operator. And uh, he asks her, you know, how is Cody's knee? And we're going to talk a little bit later. I'm sure Nate will tell us more about Cody's uh, knee surgery in the BTE recap. And Brandy basically says, you know, I, I wish he would just, we don't have to rush this rehab. Why doesn't he just skip double or nothing? Because I don't want to see the match with, and they, you know, censor it out. Who's talk? Who she's talking about? So they've they're really pushing that this is like. I guess it makes sense if it's the gold dust thing because it's like I really don't want to. Well, I don't know, but then only if it were like heated between the two, you know. So she almost seems disgusted at the idea of these two people, you know, of Cody wrestling this person. So uh, it's definitely building up the interest in in who the opponent is. Yeah, I think these Road to Double or Nothing videos are really pretty well done. Um, the like Brandy, like Brandy's obviously acting there at the end of that, but it comes off pretty authentic. Um, and yeah, just like, you know, it, it goes back to like the, I don't know, Mayweather versus De La Hoya 24-7 series, whatever, where you get like a peek behind the curtain and sort of see who these people are. Um, you know, and it's obviously worked, but it's it's worked well. It's worked a lot better than, you know, um, I, I, I guess I have to use the WWE for every example of like a major league company that would do like a vignette or something like this. Um, but yeah, it comes off well done, well produced. Um, and you know, we didn't talk about last week's road to double or nothing where they did similar things with some of the other new talent. And I thought those, uh, especially one of those segments was, uh, super well done. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell us more about it? <laughs> oh, I will. Um, I was gonna sort of throw to you, uh, just cause I don't know. Okay. So yeah, last week's they introduced, uh, Kip Sabian and Brandon Cutler, as new talent uh, that will most likely be in the new over budget battle Royale for double or nothing, which is great because the over budget battle Royale on the, on all in was just a tremendous match. So it's like one of those rare battle Royales or Royal rumbles or whatever, where everybody shines and looks great. And you're like with the match to the very end. And there's no boring segments where people are just stuck in each corner, you know, throwing fake, punches at each other um but yeah so they had kip sabian was introduced as a new either AEW roster member or battle royale participant uh it also seemed like maybe sunny kiss was going to be in the battle royale because he was at the top of that video uh then they had brandon cutler and his was more of like an in-depth look at him you know having come up with the young bucks in in southern california his wife going into making gear and then the you know them uh, having killed ch children and, uh, you know, him wanting to do his best. For oh, his wait, did you say having killed children? Having, I <laughs> went to say kids and changed it to children. <laughs> to my knowledge, we should be clear. I do not believe that Brandon Keller has killed any children. Um, but yeah, his segment was like really good. Like he got choked up in it because he talked about promising his wife that, you know, that he would make their lives better year after year after year. Um, and, you know, you sort of got the impression from that, that he, felt that he needed to do better in that regard. Um, so he was sort of chasing his dream. And 
yeah, you know, where previously it would have been like, oh, you know, that's the Young Bucks boy. That's, you know, their old friend. They're just giving him this opportunity out of, you know, friendship or loyalty or whatever it is. But that little road to double or nothing segment, you know, was like, oh, yeah, no, there's a human being here with like real issues and real worries and concerns and like oh yeah he has something on the line when he goes out and performs for uh AEW in that battle royal right it's like we've talked about a lot on this show about how they have just done a great job of uh, respecting their audience and so it's really easy yes i know that uh brandy's things are worked you know when she does the little uh shootish comments but i have no problem just buying into it and taking it for what it's worth and letting it, uh, you know, pique my interest. And the same thing with this Brandon Cutler thing. It's like, oh, cool, you know. The idea, I think, is that whoever wins this is going to get a contract with AEW. That's just kind of the way it seems sold to me. And uh, Brandon Cutler is going to be an easy person to root for to win, obviously, but I'm sure we're going to see a lot more people announced. Yeah, Cody did explicitly say that there would be something on the line. Um, You know, at All In, the Battle Royale was for the opportunity at the – of honor world title on the show um no stipulation has been announced at this point but he did say there'd be something on the line so if you've got a bunch of unsigned up-and-coming talent it makes sense for it to be like oh yeah we'll pay the winner this real money do we know who agented the the first over budget battle will i think I it was a mix of people like i've seen some interviews that happened around the battle royal and stuff done by high spots and the months past or have been released in months past that I know that Tommy Dreamer and Billy Gunn had a hand in it because of the Marco stunt shoot where they made sure he did the backpack kid dance during the middle of the Battle Royal. And then they had Ethan Page in it, and Ethan Page kind of famously always booked Joey Janela's clusterfucks at Joey Janela's spring break. So I have to imagine that he had a hand in it as well. So there's a lot I feel like that goes on or a lot of cooks in the kitchen for that match. Yeah, I kind of sensed, or I, I don't know, I had somewhere in my head that Ethan Page was involved, but I thought, like Nate said, I thought the over-budget Battle Royal All-In was so good, like one of the best matches on the show, and I think the clusterfucks suck. So, <laughs> I, was, uh, so I was like, oh, how did Ethan Page get good at, at, at doing this one? <laughs> that there are reasons, though, that the clusterfuck <laughs> was as long and event- eventful. Oh. Should we say eventful? It yeah. wasn't eventful to me. No, <laughs> the clusterfucks are great. It was just, it, it's too long a match on a midnight show that also has other long matches on it. That could certainly I, be it. Yeah. I mean, looking ahead to uh, New York here, the clusterfuck, the greatest clusterfuck looks better than the other spring break card they're promoting right now. So I um, voted clusterfuck two worst match of the year. Wow. You, you rank that better than the Priscilla Kelly versus the Jesse Elaban match from the last ball <laughs> show that you reviewed? I, I thought it would be very off-brand for me to rank a women's match, worst match of the year. But I okay. did consider that match, yes. Okay, okay. Uh, and I also considered the um, Sammy Callahan-Jimmy Jacobs match from the AAW show that uh, many of us went to in Chicago. That, that was a good, yes, the broken chairs match. That's a oh, good God. right there. What a terrible match. Speaking of AAW, the Young Bucks showed up at AAW this past weekend. Uh, Nate did not show up at AAW <laughs> this past weekend and missed uh, the Bucks showing up. They, Although 
we kind of had a sense, uh, or at least somebody on this show had a I sense. called it. I called it. <laughs> I, I looked at it immediately, and I was like, it's going to happen there. And like always, I love being right. Oh, I was right. Yeah, I'm not sure how long you can be on the show if you continue to be right about things, <laughs> uh, but it's okay. Um, so they didn't tease it like they had before. We'd kind of, I don't know if criticize, uh, criticize them is the right phrase, but it's kind of like, okay, it's kind of, I don't know, not as fun if you're just going to be like, here's a sleepless in Seattle, Jeff. I wonder where we could be. Jeff. Sure, Jeff. And so that's what I said. And uh, instead they just kind of showed up. Uh, the lights went out. I mean, people kind of realized it was coming. You could hear the elite chants before they came out. Uh, but they came out, beat up the uh, Lucha Brothers. And I guess they announced um, officially that the match was happening. I guess I already thought it was a match. But now we know for sure that it's a match. And then on their way out. Oh, I shouldn't say this because you're going to talk about it later. Isn't that right, Nate? Sure. Uh, but we do know some other places that the Lucha Bros are booked. Um <laughs> I don't know what Sam Adonis's Pittsburgh Lucha thing is, but apparently it happens tomorrow. Uh, MLW on March 2 and Warrior Wrestling on March 15. I got to think they're not going to show up in MLW. No. Also, both those shows are also in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that'd be weird. So, yeah, just uh, you really got to look at because it seems like they're going to be following the Lucha Brothers around maybe a little bit. Um, they are coming back to Chicago for like the – comic-con equivalent or it's not comic centric it's like c2e2 or something one of these big signings they've got kenny omegas on that also um also i think marty Skrull, coincidentally and and maybe somebody else that was notable um so they'll they'll be back in the area but those don't align with those other dates there but yeah no i got uh i really for whatever reason did not think that they'd be at aw i don't think they ever previously worked aw even when they were doing their indie runs they they worked like dreamwave in places but i don't think I ever made their way through aw um but uh yeah no they they showed up and got a monster pop it does seem weird that it's like aw which to me feels like one of the bigger american indies and they're like hey let us help you build your your match for your show that we don't have a, a taste of yeah I, the it's hard i think at this point to do like big surprises maybe on the indies and those like as somebody who's gone to a lot of AEW shows like you kind of get a craving for those every once in a while um so i think that's a good you know it just sort of communicates to your people who aren't necessarily season ticket buyers or whatever to say like oh yeah no if you miss a show you could miss something huge so you know if, if you're on the fence you should go to a show I think it's kind of interesting, and I know I've brought this up in past episodes, but I think every single one of their appearances have been at a high spots affiliated promotion so far. The, just in general, like the SCU yeah. appearances. You have brought the, that up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm collecting points now before I get horribly wrong later. Uh, yeah, but, what, but what's the end game of that? I mean, it's just, I find it interesting because one of the big things that this promotion has to do is start building up an infrastructure and part of the infrastructure is being able to have just an online presence, but also having a production capability. And it's clear now that they're not going to have the production capability that Sinclair loaned them for all in. So I don't think they're going to have high spot cameras there, but it's interesting that they're keeping this relationship alive because it was pretty famously that the Bucks and 
the elite had a pretty positive relationship with high spots beforehand. And also high spots is based in Charlotte. So could it be a relationship in the Southeast as well? So I don't know. Maybe I'm grasping at straws here. I probably am. Well, I did. Definitely, uh, definitely I, I just don't know what the end game is. Just because I'm doing a great thing where I say things before I check them. Uh, <laughs> the Young Bucks did in fact work one AEW show in 2009 against the House of Truth. That team consisting oh, yeah. of at the time Kristen Abel, Kristen Abel, and Josh Raymond. I miss Josh Raymond. He was awesome in like those IWA Mid South matches in the mid 2000s. Josh Raymond slash Josh Abercrombie. He had a really cool backpack stunner. Oh, the backpack stunner. That that'll fuck you up. Oh yeah. So you guys want to talk about Yoshi? Uh, yeah, we can do that. Who? Somebody was just talking about getting severely. Oh, it was Ryback. Ryback got his neck all fucked up from doing the backpack stunner all the time. Ryback is not coming to AEW. You don't know that. <laughs> if they want to, if they want to keep the momentum rolling, they're gonna. They might have to bring in the big guy. I mean, I'm I'm for it. I'm a I'm a big guy fan, but I want to talk about women now. All right, fine. Yoshi. Uh, okay, so Kenny. Omega did an interview. Was it in Shoe Pro or am I making that up? Okay, nobody's, nobody's going to help me. Anyway, he did an interview somewhere where he talked about, he, he made it seem like he's actually in charge of bring, finding women wrestlers to come to AEW. Uh, maybe it's at least that he, obviously he has some Japanese hookups, so maybe it's more like, Kenny, uh, why don't you handle some conversations with some of the Japanese promotions? Uh, obviously, they already have a relationship with DDT, and it all kind of made sense. Uh, the DDT, is it president? I'm not sure. Uh, Takagi said, you know, basically they would do anything to help Kenny Omega, uh, something that I, we probably should have put together when the DDT thing first came out, uh, but I didn't. And Kenny also mentioned, uh, well, talking about DDT, he said, you know, he really thinks a lot about uh, Yuka Sakazaki. And so that made sense, you know, that I can believe that Kenny has seen Yuka Sakazaki wrestle uh, because then he dropped name drop promotions like Oz Academy and Gato Move. I'm not really sure how that's pronounced. Uh, so I, I probably just butchered it. Uh, this interview was actually in Tokyo Sports. So, yeah, we did we uh, retweet a translation of the interview by Twitter user Ash underscore man, M-A-N-N-1021, uh, who was previously a follower of mine, but then unfollowed me. So I believe we are enemies. <laughs> I hope Ash man 102 whatever listens. Um, so I'm interested enough in the idea that they're going to start you know, bringing in people from Oz Academy. Uh, but also then we had... Uh, Kanosuke Takashita, DDT's KOD champion, uh, called out Kenny in the newest edition of Shoe Pro, uh, basically saying you know, he wanted to wrestle Kenny. So I don't know if that's Takashita shooting his own angle or if it just tells us there's going to be a, a really heavy um, involvement between AEW and DDT. I think it's interesting. I mean, it's all should be said with a caveat that this is Tokyo sports and they do really kind of push whatever narrative is being put for them they they've been worked before they're the ones that are always worked by hiroshi tanahashi's injuries each year so who knows how much of it is actually truth i think it's interesting because they already have the relationship with owe and owe's japanese affiliate is dragon gate 
Kenny and Chris Jericho still have like an open out for New Japan. So adding in DDT pretty much would have number one through three promotions in Japan affiliated with them. This is kind of more of the uh, spider web of uh, all elite wrestling kind of spreading out there. But I don't know. I'm not a big Konosuke Takashita fan. So when I saw this, I kind of rolled my eyes. But I think the rest of it, like Gato Move, I know that's, I think it's Emi Sakura's promotion, I believe. I think it's the one that I think also has some things in Thailand or at one point had some work in Thailand. So it's interesting. I, I think it's I think it's interesting just how many relationships they formed in the two months that we've actually started doing the show and since the promotion really launched. So I think it's all kind of, I, I think it's interesting now that Kenny's kind of gone out there and has started to say, okay, we're forming these relationships here. Well, I thought it was interesting that Kenny made a point that he's still living in Japan. And so I, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see him show up on a DDT show. Yeah, he's still there. He was working a esports tournament for ESPN over the last few weeks. There was the, the Evo Japan tournament, and he was doing a lot of coverage for them. So he's still there. He has to do his esports. He loves, he loves Street Fighter, but he does not like the good esports. So that's all I have to say. I just think the like... You know, the bit from BT last week where Kenny's talking about, you know, he wants to wrestle a lot. Uh, I think, I mean, not a lot, obviously, but I think that's somewhat a, a shoot. Like, I don't think he's going to be happy with not working from now until May. So I, I just would not be stunned to see him show up on a, on a DDT show. That'd be a fun pop. It's about my, the extent of my interest in it. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, funniest thing about it, the best part would be that a uh, friend of the show, John Carroll, their beloved DDT would be invaded by Kenny Omega. John thought they were done with Kenny, but he's back. Oh, that I just can't. Well, just the, the the rant that John will give if if they have to put up with Kenny Omega showing back up into DDT, especially like at one they're like if Kenny just shows up at like a month, monthly show. I don't know if they so they don't do the Manji Manji anymore, but whatever their monthly core can show is and. Suddenly, Kenny Omega shows up. I could just anticipate anticipate their response. Yeah, it'd be a, it'd be a fun big pop if he did like a surprise, and then you would also hear John crying out in anguish from New York. <laughs> yes. All right, a few uh, notes uh, that are just kind of you know miscellany that we will go through. Uh, Cody did an interview with Pro Wrestling Sheet. He was talking about what AEW TV might look like, and suggested that you know. BTE and Road to Double or Nothing have both been successful, popular. So you could see that kind of thing influencing AEW TV. Uh, you know, I think obviously that style is going to have to be there because of the way that it is genuine and sincere and respects the fans. Uh, but, you know, obviously they're going to do matches and stuff. So that'll be a little different. But do you all have any uh, thoughts about the idea of how you can carry the spirit of those shows over to uh, a weekly television show? I think it's much easier to carry over the road to double or nothing to a weekly TV show. We've seen that with the UFC behind the scenes video series. I forgot what it's called. I don't know if it's unleashed or something, but they used to have a series on YouTube before each fight week that did kind of a similar thing. So I think you could translate that. I don't know how you deal with being the elite and, AEW TV coexisting at the same time. I think that that's kind of like, I don't know how you carry them over other than maybe doing like segments from 
the road or not, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know how you make it work. Um, I do recall there was like a WWE Raw where all the talent got stuck in a snowstorm or something, and they basically just did an entire episode or like half a three-hour episode from the Stanford studios with like interviews and stuff. Um, I kind of think that doing a giant stadium or arena show every week and giving away a bunch of big matches is like antithetical to what pro wrestling is actually supposed to be where you like build big matches and then deliver them. So in that regard, I guess it, it would be good if, you know, the television was more like road to double or nothing or a, you know, 24 seven series or something like that, where they build interest in the match. And then, you know, you've actually paid to see the match. Um, but yeah, I don't, it, it, it's hard to have that coexist with BTE and then also deliver wrestling action on, you know, presumably cable television. The, the, that's a lot of different modes and tones and, uh, you know, production styles. Um, but, you know, you sort of want them to work in concert and, 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 and appeal to different aspects of what pro wrestling is while still pointing and marketing toward that one big match on one big show sort of thing. I think you make an interesting point about the idea of whether you give away how, how you do weekly TV, whether you give away these big matches or whether you have, you know, less wrestling on your weekly show. Uh, and then it kind of goes in with uh, what Cody talked about in a Bleacher Report interview where he suggested at least that folks like he and the Bucks are going to be wrestling every week because they're making so much money that, you know, the, the company is going to expect them to be on TV wrestling. And I think that's a really poor idea in that, uh, you know, you the last thing that these guys want to be is overexposed, especially wrestling wise. I'm hoping because of, you know, the size, relative size of their roster that they're going to be smarter about, you know, not putting everybody on TV every week and, you know, letting everybody kind of breathe. But it concerns me that that we're going to have, you know, the Bucks in the main event every week on, on AEW TV. Yeah, if you do that, then it's pretty easy to see how that slides into being about as relevant as Ring of Honor TV when they were on it. Like, you kind of have to... This is why, like, you know, sporadic appearances by Brock Lesnar are, like, the only good thing on WWE because you don't see him very often. Having people wrestle on your TV every week decreases their value, even if they're well-presented and, like, you know, booked logically, which you would hope the promotion does. So, yeah, I, don't, I really don't know how you solve that problem. I'm glad I don't have to try and solve that problem. You look at how, like, New Japan does it, and they have, you know, tours, a large, a large portion of which are, like, effectively house shows where everybody's doing tags and six mans and you know that seems to work for them but that doesn't mesh with the american idea of televised major pro wrestling yeah and i don't want to see cody in a six man as the main event every week you know <laughs> not that exciting uh the rest of the bleacher report interview was interesting in that uh, cody said they were going to look at booking bigger venues in the future because uh, he confirmed that there were 43,000 individuals in the queue for double or nothing tickets. Um, I think this is fascinating because if they're going to, you know, the report is that they're going to be running monthly big shows. So <laughs> at some point, as Mike and I talked about, you're going to burn out, not burn out, but you, you can't run 20,000 seat arenas every month. 
you know, so I'm not sure they actually do want to book bigger venues. They might want to keep the demand high uh, and the supply low so that they can let this run for a while. Yeah. And a lot of places that they are looking into, there's these great five to 8,000 seat college basketball arenas. And to me, if that's what they're planning on doing for how the, however they're going to be doing their weekly television, there's been talk about it when it be live. There's talk about them taping that's still up in the air, but also these monthly big events. I mean, you need to kind of still enforce scarcity, like scarcity economics is still kind of in play because if you do double or nothing or all in like events every month, eventually you're going to burn out your audience and their, and, and you know, their income. So thinking about doing indoor baseball stadiums, which goes from you're going from like the 12,000 that you're going to have at the grand garden arena to, I think that the smallest indoor stadium is the Miami park, the Marlins park, which is still about 30,000. That's a huge jump. And I know they say, 43,000 individuals in queue is a huge number, but that's also Memorial Day weekend. And I think that with a lot of these kind of things, you have to look at it in context. And if you don't look at it in context, then you can just take these numbers and just go to the hills with them. And it's also, it's the second show. It's, <laughs> it's a lot different when you say, oh, I can just go to the show next month. You know, so I, I'm not convinced that 43,000 individuals are going to hop in queue for every AEW show if they run monthly. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm like you, Mike, I would, I would keep it scarce. Nate, what do you think about uh, just generally about like, should they try to run these bigger buildings or, or uh, stick with the smaller places? Yeah, no, I like the smaller places. Uh, I think big buildings are also largely bad for enjoying pro wrestling. Like I, I don't want to ever be like in the, you know, back, 5,000 of a 10,000 seat arena. Well, that's, that's probably small enough that it's still somewhat intimate, but I, I think wrestling uh, is a lot better when you're closer to it and you can sort of uh, better perceive the kinetic physicality of it. Um, and yeah, I think you would rather have smaller buildings that are sold and packed to the gills with people excited to be there rather than, you know, aiming for these larger buildings just because you have the demand at this time Whereas, you know, when they start announcing more shows, like we know they're going to Jacksonville. Now we know that they're going to Chicago. I mean, we had an idea that they were doing that, but now it's pretty much been confirmed. Um, you know, when people start detecting that, oh, they're going to be in my neck of the woods in X many months, they're not going to be willing to travel and make a trip out of going to these bigger shows. So, yeah, I, I, I think you want to, uh, it's sort of like in, I don't know if you guys, probably Mike played. I'm sure Aaron didn't play. If you ever played TEW Total Extreme Warfare. Oh yeah. There, yeah. When you got to the when you got to like the popularity cap of your promotion, you know, you would be like a regional promotion, then you'd bump up to national. And as soon as you bump up to national, you're now being judged against all the other national promotions. So you start losing, you know, uh prestige as compared to them. You sort of have to artificially limit your popularity and keep yourself as a regional promotion to to build that undercurrent of of popularity so that you're not immediately you know like uh uh consumed by going up you sort of need to you know let that let the demand for tickets simmer so that it remains constant rather than i think you know tr popping a, a couple giant uh houses and then you know burning people out so they're not coming to you next time they're around in the next you know six months 
Oh, absolutely. You want to build the infrastructure and you want to build the demand that you don't burn out. I mean, running that for their two shows that either they've ticketed or have happened, you've had Labor Day weekend and you've had Memorial Day weekend. Those are traditionally two very big travel holidays. With this July show in Jacksonville, there's been talk that it's going to be somewhere around the 4th of July. It's something that, like, as with a lot of these things with AEW, I feel like you need to take these things in context. And that's the one worry I kind of have when, they, when they're saying plans like this is that they're just kind of looking at the numbers and not listening to Mookie where Mookie would put it into context, I guess. They have uh, some other things from that interview, Cody, suggested at least that they might look at all women shows uh, or at least women's main events. So you could see maybe, yeah, we're running monthly, but maybe the show in the middle of the two bigger shows is we're going to book a, you know, two to 5,000 seat arena and run all women or, you know, run something that doesn't have the, our biggest matches, you know, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, the other big note from the week was it was announced yesterday, I think it was yesterday, that Cody is going to be working Triple A's Ray de Reyes in March. So, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's worth noting that Ray de Reyes is traditionally the second biggest show of the year for Triple A. It's really when they start doing the big push towards their Triple Mania show. And this is in March. It's, I think, on the 15th. It's not that far. He's not going to be wrestling. I mean, which is a shame because it would be really funny because Ray de Reyes also has their big tournament of each year where they decide they're king of kings and the winner gets a giant sword. And wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if Cody like walked in double or nothing with the triple A Ray Reyes uh, sword. But like a big thing about this press conference was they were talking about, it had Conan there and Conan was talking about the relationship and how they're building it up. And there was a little talk about Lucha Underground there, which is kind of interesting for the Lucha Bros. But yeah, no, he's going to be appearing in, I think it's in Mexico City. It might not be. I know that Triple Mania is always in Mexico City, but Triple A travels more than CMLL. So, but yeah, no, that was kind of interesting. All right, Mike, I understand you would like the floor for a uh, just something that's uh, been on your mind. Okay, so... One thing that I've noticed really over the last few weeks in terms of people and the internet discourse towards AEW, and it's kind of become a thing now that Double or Nothing, they've started to put together shows and they've started to put together matches, is that there's been a big demand for immediacy. And that really, I think it's kind of losing sight of both wrestling history and at the same time, losing sight of what they're trying to build and as lame as it sounds, building a company and building a something out of nothing. And when we talk about like wrestling history, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm tired of seeing like new interviews. I'm tired of seeing the Bucks say this. I'm tired of seeing like the big trigger I saw about this was Kenny Omega's interview in Tokyo Sports this week. So that was kind of the trigger, I guess, for me that really kind of like was like the last straw for me that I really kind of had to get stuff off my chest about this. And the big thing is I feel like that people don't realize that this is how you have to build up promotions and you can't really just say, Hey, we're going to run a promotion. We're going to start up now and then go dark. That's just, that just doesn't work. You have to keep your name out there. And especially if you're trying to present yourself as an alternative, and especially when you have people who 
as much as I hate the term, have a brand like the elite, if they suddenly went dark and stopped doing interviews when they were building up a promotion, that'd be some of the dumbest shit possible. Like it, it just makes no sense. And then when you look back in history, I've been working off and on for a long time on a project talking, just analyzing dragon system and just, just the overall is just me doing a big deep dive. I've kind of started it a long time ago looking at Shima, but now I'm starting to do things. There's other people I'm working with and we'll be talking more about these things later, but it's given me time to look into Dragon Gate USA and Dragon Gate USA has some similarities that I feel like is worth saying. Dragon Gate USA announced in March of 2009 that they were going to do shows and they were doing the shows in June and September. So similar timeframes here. I mean, we're talking about a four month difference, a lot like double or nothing. And here's the bigger thing about it. This is before iPay-Per-View. This was still in DVD and physical media distribution. And even more so, this was when they had the pay-per-view contract they inherited from Ring of Honor. So a lot of the big money they were trying to get in for this show wasn't going to happen until two months later. So that's six months down the road. So I think that people need to realize that when you're building a company like this, you don't go dark. You keep your name out there. They're going to have more things like this. I imagine they're going to do even more things in the lead up to double or nothing because the card's looking kind of full already, guys. I mean, I don't think I'm off base in saying that I don't know how much more they're going to put on this card. So I don't, I think this is a lot of people who have naturally negative views towards the elite and they're applying it to this promotion and they're using this at, and they're using them being out there as a way for them to needle the promotion. A lot like how there were people who were needling the promotion after the double or nothing ticket announcement party. So, so yeah, if you're wanting promote, if you're wanting shows immediately, that's not how this happens. That's not how you build a promotion. That's not how, it, it, unless you buy WCW and someone actually ran WCW as WCW, it just doesn't happen nowadays. You're, I think people are being entirely unrealistic about what it takes to build promotion. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, the valid, one of the valid things I hear is that like, yes, I would like to see some wrestling, obviously. Uh, but I see what they're doing. It makes sense to me. And at least the Bucks are giving us some occasional physicality, you know, that we can get behind. But uh, I, I mostly agree with you, but I, I would like to see, you know, two people have a wrestling match. That'd be fun. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think this is the promo perfect promotion right now because I don't have to watch any wrestling. <laughs> Just watch like two 15-minute videos a week. and uh, yeah. Okay, you're right. Yeah, hang out on Twitter and, and you don't, that's it. And another thing going back about like wanting to see people wrestling, of course we want to see people wrestle. But again, I'm going back to DGUSA. DGUSA only had really bad, grainy YouTube videos of clips leading up to the DGUSA shows. And it's a similar situation. We all have seen the Bucks elsewhere. A lot of people saw the Dragon Gate guys in the Ring of Honor matches. So I just don't, yeah. But I agree. Do I do like that comparison. I think that's interesting. But, you know, the, the proof is going to be in what happens with oh, AEW, right? So we'll see whether it was successful. Uh, but for now, we get uh, we get being the Elite Nates. So tell us about what happened on this week's episode. All right. Um, this is basically the uh, Bucks at AAW episode. Uh, show opens, the cold open is the Bucks at AAW Gorilla or directly behind the entrance curtain. 
Um, you got a Dr. Keith cameo there as he's filming or he's opening the curtain for them. Uh, the lights go out and you get like the same sort of reaction. They got to defy where it's like you actually get like shrieking women who are losing their minds in the audience, which is uh, cool. It's cool to see wrestling with people that excited about it. Um, they do the bit where they, they fast forward through Marty's appearance in the opening titles and cut off flips. Have they been fast forwarding those every time Marty's part? I don't recall that. This I usually don't watch I'm... that closely, but. This is the first time I noticed it with Marty, but Flip has been a progressive thing. Like he gets shorter every time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if they'd been doing Marty previously. Uh, so then we go to a, a video call with the Bucks and Hangman Adam Page. Um, the bit here is that the Bucks realize that Hangman is in full gear, even though he's in the comfort of his own home. Uh, so they call him out and roast him on that. Um, and then they decide that he both needs to get skinnier and more cut, but he also needs to get bigger and more jacked. So kind of kind of a funny thing there where they've got two contrasting demands of him. Uh, we jump to Cody, who's doing a little vlog as he rehabs from surgery. Says he got his meniscus cleared out and years of wearing no knee pads like Buddy Rogers caught up with him. Uh, he also buries Hangman's uh, physique here in this little bit. And then we go back in time to the Bucks at the airport en route to AEW. They say they are traveling 48 hours to do a 30-second run-in, but it's worth it for that pop, and then also to get revenge on Pentagon. Uh, there's a new song here. They do like the little travel montage of the plane. This is not one I recognize in the time that I've been watching this show. Not one of Papa Buck's better tracks, in my opinion. Yeah, I noticed it, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I was like, no, this isn't the Papa <laughs> Buck, like, like cool uh, mall music, like 1980s thing. It was a little bit... It was a little bit disappointing. I mean, I did notice that they were flying out of an airport that doesn't surprise me. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we have to fly from here to here to here. And I was like, oh, dear. Okay, that sucks. Uh, they are really committing to this. Yeah. So then we get uh, more travel. They're they're traveling like full on gear. Like this is basically full gear, but it's their merch. Um, a little silly. Uh, and they say they keep getting recognized probably because they're wearing a bunch of lead gear. They drop by the Sears Center, which is like not a convenient place to drop by when you're going from O'Hare to <laughs> Logan Square Auditorium. So they definitely went way out of their way to go to the Sears Center. Um, so you knew something was up. Matt says yes as a prize for Nick. The Sears Center apparently put a permanent plaque for All In on the exterior of their building at the entrance, which is kind of wild. But, um, you know, I'm on the Sears Center email mailing list and they do not have like marquee events there. Uh, so it totally makes sense that All In is like the most important event in that uh, venue's history at this point. But when you're normally running G League games, I think uh, putting 11,000 people in there is exciting. Yeah, it's like G League games or like uh, like the second tier monster truck <laughs> rallies or like, you know, weird country music craft beer festival nonsense. Yeah. Um, so then we go to a Joey Ryan segment continuing this bit. Uh, he's getting more and more paranoid about people approaching him and wanting to beat him up uh, because they want to get the elite's attention. So he keeps running away. Finally, he runs into a room, into whatever show he's at, and he sees a blonde woman, and he thinks it's his partner, Candace, there to save him. But it turns around, it's actually Scarlett Bordeaux, who is famously blonde, of course, used to be famously a redhead. Um, and he even is afraid of her kicking his ass. Okay, here's um, my thing on this. I mean... It's, I get the bit, but has he ever seen Candace's hair before? Yeah. I mean, um, Scarlett has long, luxurious hair. 
I mean, I know that it's probably uh, she probably has some extensions in, but Candace's hair doesn't look like that. I'm not. We we cannot go into this much scrutiny on BT any, bits. You're not going to survive. <laughs> You're not going to survive when we get into you know murder angles and shit. All right. Well, but I'm just happy to see. I was happy to see Scarlet. Does this give you any hope that Scarlet shows up in AEW? Famous, hey. famous Scarlet fan, Epitasis. <laughs> um, I mean, she's like AAA's top draw right now, right? So, uh, I mean, according to the YouTube views. I mean, she she does do tremendous for Impact's YouTube viewership, and she has when she does show up on Twitch, I have noticed that the viewership numbers do go up. So, I mean, she is a multi-promotional draw and a multi-platform star. So maybe we should put some respect on her name when we talk about her. So, yeah, why not bring her in? She can be part of the uh, AAA contingent. She was. Running through there some. Okay. Um, so then we've got the Bucks running into Sammy Guevara at AEW. Uh, you can watch this little encounter from the opposite angle on Sammy's own YouTube vlog. Um, he gives them a cake. And then they also do a bit where he says, oh, I can hook you up with a high quality mic and camera. Just DM me. Um, and hey, Sammy's vlogs look and sound really good. So why not? He also seems to have like a drone and he has a lot of like aerial shots and stuff. So um Maybe worth their time. Yeah, I was going to ask because I have not watched Sammy's vlogs before, but I know that the Bucks shoot on their their phone and the quality really shows there. But does Sammy seem to actually use like because like that was looked like it was a cannon with a, a attached shotgun mic. So it looks like he's at least putting thought into it. Like our, does the production quality kind of translate? Yes, I, I think his show looks and is edited really well. Mm. Um I, I don't actually, it seems like he must have some level of, uh, you know, training or something on that point, uh, <laughs> presuming that he's done them, doing them himself. Uh, you can, like I said, watch Sammy's vlog and it covers basically the same time period around this AEW show. Apparently he's done like more than 200 of those vlogs, which is wild. But, you know, I guess when they're, when he's not doing like storylines, just sort of doing like, you know, Hey, here's me traveling and talking with whoever. Um, but yeah, worth worth checking out if not to just see how, you know, presumably the the vlog market looks right now as far as what's sort of the standard as far as production quality. Um, so yeah, then we proceed. MJF also comes up to the Bucks because he's also on this AW show. Uh, he says he's got the flu, so he when he shakes their hands, he's gonna get them sick and then make them get their kids sick and they're gonna puke all over their shitty tassels which was kind of a funny line to me. I, I thought he said the rats are going to puke all over your shitty tassels. I thought he meant ring rats. I believe he meant the rug rats. He did. I, yeah. I picked that up like five seconds later, but I was like, this, I don't know about this. I don't know <laughs> the poor choice. I, I think I've been listening to the AIW podcast too much. Okay. And, and so ring rats uh, made sense to me. I started from the beginning of that podcast and it is uh, touch and go at times. Frank, little Frank. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. All right, so then we get our weekly SCU bit. Um, Christopher Daniels is on the phone. He's demanding first-class suites hey, for all. I'm sorry, of them. I don't. I don't want to interrupt you, but you you left out the most important part of the uh, of the Matt of the Bucks and uh, MJF bit. Okay. Uh, well, that Matt, I guess he thinks that Sammy is the prick as compared to MJF. Is that what you're referring to? <laughs> yes. Thanks for. Okay. I I did see that. I just skipped it because I was like, whatever. Oh, sorry. I apologize. It was not a laugh line for me personally. Huh. 
Okay. Okay. So uh, Christopher Daniels trying to get first class suites for everybody in SCU. Uh, Scorpio Sky is lighting one of Kaz's cigars, which he is selling or has a partnership for or something, uh, with a flaming $20 bill. Uh, and then we cut away to Dick Knox, who is the brother of deceased referee Rick Knox. Uh, he, he says, oh, these guys have changed. So the money's going to their head. Um, yeah, and then we get the actual show footage from AEW of the run-in. Um, it, on this one, they did get the legit show footage from the promotion, but they had to have a very conspicuous uh, bug to plug the promotion and their Twitter handle. So that was kind of funny to me. Um, so yeah, in this, they do a run-in basically into a three-way tag. It was the Lucha Brothers who were the current AEW champs against uh, Myron Reed and AR Fox against LAX. Uh, so the Bucks run in, super kick the Lucha Brothers. Crowd's going absolutely apeshit. Uh, they give pen to the package pile driver that he had given Matt Jackson. Then they give Phoenix a Meltzer driver. Then they exit the ring. LAX pins the Lucha Brothers to win the AEW titles. Uh, which is cool because I have yet to see the LAX in AEW, and I like LAX a lot. Uh, and they, then they dap up the Bucks. Um, Bucks get back in the ring, get on the mic, make the official challenge for Double or Nothing. Phoenix, you know, cuts a very fiery babyface promo about how they're actually the best team on the planet, and they accept the challenge. Bucks super kick them again, kind of uh, trending heel, I think, here uh, in their engagements. Um, and then Matt again says, "Hey, we know your schedule. We'll see you around." And they put up the match graphic. Funny thing is they obviously like shot the promo picks for these matches at the Vegas press conference because the Lucha Bros have them in their masks and those formal <laughs> suits that they wore for the presser. So that was kind of cute to me. So that was BTE. Did, was I the only one who noticed that Matt has been getting into progressively better and better shape when he's been doing these run-ins? Like, I, I don't know what it was, but like, I know that the big talk is about how Hangman is trying to get full gear, but I was like, this is the first time I've noticed that Matt Jackson had abs. That might just be me noticing that, but I thought that was kind of interesting. I love that run-in. I felt like that, that one, out of everything they've kind of done, I felt like that one came across really well on BTE. Definitely had the most physicality, I think. I uh, didn't notice whether Matt is a body guy now. I think uh, he is. He's getting yoked. But they, they don't have, have anything else to do. So they have yeah. been doing a body guy bit because when they transitioned from juniors to heavyweights in New Japan, the whole thing was that they're body guys. Sure. Mm-hmm. But right. Yeah, I did not notice a significant departure myself. Maybe it was just me. Maybe it was just me. All right. Well, that's BTE and Mike's thoughts on abs. Hey, uh, he's, he seems to have them now. I don't ever remember him having them. Uh, I think that's everything for this week. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about? Um, no, I mean, I wish that Cody was able to wrestle at Ray de Reyes because I want him to walk into uh, Double or Nothing with a sword. I hope that whoever wins Ray de Reyes comes to Double or Nothing with a sword. Yeah, that's all I got. All right. Well, I'm sure next week uh, a lot more things will happen that we'll have to talk about. We always think there's going to be nothing, and then there's 10 things to talk about. So I'm sure we'll see you guys next week uh, to do that. Uh, make sure that you are following us on Twitter at everything AEW. You can find me at Aaron like the car. Mike is at Fuji Heya, and Nate is at Epitasis. You can rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the show. There's an Everything Elite feed, and we're also part of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network feed. 
but you never know what else is going to pop up on that thing. So be careful. Hey, there should be an open the voice gate next week, folks. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You never know when you're going to refresh and it's going to be open the voice gate. I yeah. Mean, three hours or two and a half hours of me just running down the February and March shows. Yeah. Be, be careful with that. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so that's it. Uh, I don't have anything else to add. So for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next week. I